Today's episode of the DevEd podcast is produced by Thinkster.io. With the rapid pace of change to front-end and back-end frameworks alike, staying up to date with your skills can be tough, but it doesn't have to be. With our expert-led courses on Thinkster.io, you have instant access to hundreds of courses on topics ranging from Angular, React, and Vue to Python, Rails, and Docker, and a whole lot more. You can even customize your learning path to include any combination of front-end and back-end technologies that are relevant to you. Thinkster.io, a better way to learn. Hello, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the DevEd Podcast. We're excited today to have a special guest with us, Thomas Desmond. So we'll have him introduce himself here in a minute, but do you want to say hello, Thomas? Hello, everyone. Perfect. And then also on the show, we have Luis Hernandez. Hola. <laughs> and Mike Dane. Hey, everyone. We have Jesse Sanders. Hey, everybody. And my absolute favorite co-host, Mr. Lucas Rubelke. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Once again, he is in his very awesome little recording booth. I'm always jealous when I see that, Lucas. <laughs> I think everybody should have one, starting with Jesse Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I do have one from you, actually. Yes. Thank you. Love you, buddy. Love you, too. <laughs> Great. Okay. So, like I said, our guest for today is Thomas Desmond. So Thomas is one of our newest authors at Thinkster.io, and he's just about to put out a course on ASP.net. That is what we're going to talk about today is ASP.net. So I want to give Thomas a chance, so first of all, just to kind of introduce himself and let everybody know about kind of his journey with programming and what he's doing today. Yeah, hello, everyone. My name is Thomas Desmond. I'm a mob programming software engineer in San Diego, California. Uh, right now I'm working on mostly .NET and Angular-based applications. I was a university instructor for three years. And like Brooke said, I have a course soon to be published on Thinkster. It's a C-sharp course developing an API with ASP.NET Core. Great, cool. So Thomas, let's kind of get some, some foundation here before we really get the episode taken off here. Just for anybody that's not familiar with it, what is ASP.NET? So ASP.NET is an open source web application framework developed by Microsoft. And it's really used to develop and build web apps using .NET. So with C-sharp, we can develop dynamic web apps and services with it. And it extends the familiar .NET framework to support web applications. So you had mentioned .NET Core, mm -hmm. which is, I think it's a very important distinction to make. So let's talk about like .NET Core specifically, because I think, I think Microsoft of 10 years ago versus Microsoft today is totally different. And they're doing some really incredible things. And let's just unpack what like .NET Core is specifically in relation to, to ASP.NET as a whole. Yeah, so ASP.NET Core is kind of more of the most recent iteration and the big piece of that is that it can run cross-platform on your Windows, Mac, or Linux machines. So that's why I wanted to make the course on that with using .NET Core. So it was really the most expandable, being able to run on all the different, all the different applications. And it's just, uh, it's generally cheaper to run on a Linux device. So it's nice to have that option with ASP.NET Core to have the cross-platform Windows, Mac, and Linux support. And so typically, like in an open source, you know, kind of a community. So, you know, it's a lot of, you know, a lot of MacBooks, you know, you'll see like some Linux boxes and different things is ASP.NET is typically not front of mind, you know, when people start thinking about their tool chain and, and their stack. And so 
what's kind of a, a typical process or how does that conversation go when you're like, hey, actually, like .NET Core is actually viable and, you know, it, there's tooling and it, it's pleasant. Like, I would imagine people, in order to even try .NET Core, you know, on a Mac, they have to kind of put down some preconceptions. And so I'm curious how typically that conversation goes for you when, when you're saying like, hey, you should try this. It, it's viable and it works. Yeah, so I guess yeah, it's, it's new to have that idea that you can actually run ASP.NET Core on a Mac device. And what's even newer is just that Visual Studio is out on a Mac, which is, would have been unheard of like, three, four years ago. It's really just important you know, to see how it can be put on different applications or different, different operating systems. And I think just having that cross-platform support, and Microsoft is putting in a ton of support and they're, they want to be cross-platform. They're not really only pushing their Windows system anymore. They are trying to run on every ecosystem. And that's, that's really important. And Microsoft has been putting a lot of effort in supporting that. And so I know that you, um, you, know, you work in a kind of a university setting, if I'm not mistaken. And could you kind of just explain some of the stuff that, that you're building with .NET Core and you know, kind of just walk through you know, kind of what like you can actually build out in the wild and what, it, what is available? Yeah, so I, I actually am, I recently am not a university instructor. I'm actually working full-time. I have been working full-time as a software developer and as part-time doing university teaching as well. But in uh, my full-time job, we're actually, we're using ASP.NET for our API layer. And we have a legacy desktop application written in C-sharp. We want to move to Angular front end and have that rich Angular web, web front end. And having this .NET Core API middle layer to be able to talk with our old application or old business logic and still transfer that data to the new Angular front end web development has been really important and it's been a great, great intermediate, intermediate layer. So kind of an anecdotal story. I think my first interaction with .NET Core, I was at MVP Mix like maybe a year and a half ago in San Francisco and it very much kind of a .NET, you know, kind of a centric crowd. And uh, Scott Hunter, who is the, the program director for um, .NET, you know, he gets up and he's on a Mac and he's writing some code. And like all of a sudden I start to get very interested because like he's writing .NET and he's on a Mac. Like where is he going to go with this? He compiles it. It runs. Then he basically puts it on a, like a zip drive or something and he moves it over to a PC and he spins it back up and it works. And then he, with like a click of a button or something, he basically puts it into a Docker image and puts it into the cloud. What was really interesting about that is, you know, I think I'm like doing the standing ovation because that was really impressive to me. And I think everybody was like, like what? And, you know, the fact that he was able to do that just seamlessly in a matter of, you know, 10, 15 minutes was, you know, just unbelievable that he basically did something on a Mac, put it on a PC, and then he deployed it to the cloud. And that was really kind of where it caught my interest. And so I know the answer because I went and, and I actually tried it and I turned the dials. But somebody who wants to do .NET on a Mac, typically, what, like, what does that process look like? And it's, spoiler alert, it's probably a lot easier than, than someone would think. So brand new MacBook, I want to do .NET Core. Like, how does that work? There is now Visual Studio for Mac available. And with that, you can do the .NET Core development. Um, I actually, I own a Mac and I bought one because I wanted to do .NET development, specifically with Xamarin Forms with another cross-platform great technology there. But I just really like the, the tools that are available and having Visual Studio for Mac uh, 2019 is out. 
So a lot of the same support there um, is there on Mac, which is yeah, pretty incredible just to be able to do that development work and you can move it over to your PC, move it over to other environments pretty seamlessly. And now you had mentioned Visual Studio for Mac, which is not the same as uh, Visual Studio Code. And so could you talk about what the difference are between those two things? Because they, they are two separate things. Yes. So yeah, VS Code, Visual Studio Code, and Visual Studio Mac or for the Mac 2019, they are two separate applications. The Visual Studio Mac 2019 is more closely related to the Visual Studio you might be familiar with on your Windows machine. There are definitely less features in there, but they still are. It's more of a full-featured IDE compared to Visual Studio Code. And you can, just to clarify, run .NET Core in Visual Studio Code as well. Um, Correct, yes. Problem. And so typically, what, what is your weapon of choice there? If you had to go with this or you had to go with this? Or if you can go with this, or you can go with this. A little Fat Boy Slim reference there. Visual Studio Code for Mac, VS Code. What would you choose personally uh, for your, your tool of choice? It depends on the development that I'm doing. But if I'm doing any .NET development, I really do .NET Core development. I really do like using Visual Studio for Mac, the 2019 edition. And if I'm doing my Angular development, I'll be in VS Code. So I actually usually have both open. I'm working in both of them at the same time. But when I'm doing my .NET, I definitely prefer having the tooling and things available there in Visual Studio Mac 2019. Cool. So I'm going to ask one more question, and hopefully it will set the stage for us to kind of start talking about, like, I think from an educational standpoint. And mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us here are, are educators, and we're very interested. So I think we've laid a pretty good foundation. So TypeScript and C Sharp, they're from kind of basically the same person. And so somebody who understands C Sharp has a very nice transition in, into TypeScript. And what are your thoughts on the fact that C Sharp and TypeScript were written by basically the same person? And obviously a lot of people have contributed since, but they're very, very similar. Have you found that this really kind of minimizes the, the learning curve when somebody's making that transition from, you know, maybe server-side rendered stuff to, to front-end and back, um, being that they're almost, you know, they're very, very similar and at least, you know, philosophical cousins? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with you that they are very similar and the learning curve is reduced because of how similar they are. I, for my first three years, was doing strictly C-sharp development with some VB in there. And then in the past year, I've been learning Angular and TypeScript really hasn't, hasn't been an issue being able to learn TypeScript and just having that type language. I, I skipped JavaScript altogether. I went straight to TypeScript. Definitely learning JavaScript and what the fun underlying fundamentals are of that is important. But I've found that going from C-sharp and TypeScript and I, we're doing full stack development at my organization. So I switch between the back end C Sharp and the front end TypeScript daily. And it really is a pretty easy transition to be able to do both. Very, very cool. If somebody wanted to learn uh, ASP.NET, what are, what are some resources? Where would they start? Obviously, you're coming out with a course. I would say, you know, without you having to say that yourself, I would say start there. Um, mm -hmm. That would be a good place. But so let's start there, and then I think I would like everybody else to kind of jump in and, and kind of, you know, ask some questions so this isn't the, you know, the Luke show by any means. So um, let's, I'm going to hand it off to you. Where would you start? How would you go? And then um, I'd love for some of the other panelists to just sound off as well. But yeah, if you're looking to, if you're interested in doing a, making an API, the course that I have putting out on Thinkster would be a great start. And also the Microsoft documentation itself is actually really thorough, and they do a great job of kind of building out a full application there as well. So a lot of that is um, really useful. 
like people have said before, the being able to make a, having a project idea, being able to make your own kind of full end to end project is my favorite way to learn is to really kind of have some passion in there when trying to learn some new technology. Does anybody else have experience using ASP.net? Has anybody done anything with it? And, you know, how has that compared with your learning, you know, Angular or React or something else? Like, I just want to kind of a better understanding of how it's been for you to, to learn that versus other languages or frameworks. All right, I'll, I'll jump in here. I'll bite. I'm going to date myself just a little bit because I actually started on VB4. Um, I think that was prior to ActiveX. So I think those were VBXs is what they were. And then quickly got into a job doing VB5 into VB6. I later got into VB.net. And then, gosh, maybe around 2000. Yes, I am old. Thank you. Thank you, Lucas. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I just like to say I'm, I'm experienced. That's what I'd like to refer to it as. Yes. And so a lot of C-sharp and ASP.net. I, I found the transition to JavaScript initially difficult because I came from a typed structure, especially, you know, a C-sharp and then having to learn JavaScript where nothing was typed. But then when I went to TypeScript, gosh, the, the jump was, was pretty simple. I think that having people understand uh, typed languages and the value there is a, a great thing for people to learn, you know, something like either Java or, or C-sharp, you know, which is, um, you know, there for ASP.NET. But having that understanding then makes it a lot easier when we go to TypeScript for understanding what some of these concepts are, how we do generics, how we do some of the object-oriented sort of paradigms that would make uh, life uh, potentially easier uh, for them. So anybody else have experience? I can jump in. I don't have a ton of experience with uh, .NET in that sort of uh, ecosystem, but I will say the, the limited experience I do have, I think it's, it's really great because it is, like Thomas was saying, a one-stop shop. You can build a full stack end-to-end application just with that technology. And I think a lot of times, especially you know, we get so focused on like one particular framework, React or Angular, and then if you want to build something full stack, you end up having to glue together like a database and maybe an express server in the back end or whatever. You're gluing together all these disparate pieces and having something that is fully end-to-end that's like, here, this is everything that you need to get this app up and running. I think especially for beginners, when you're first learning, these different concepts can be extremely useful. So that's one thing I, I do love about that, that ecosystem um, is that it basically just has everything that you need right there. So one little tidbit that I want to throw out there that I didn't actually know, but I I suspected is as an Angular developer, one of my all-time favorite things is RxJS and the fact that you have these reactive paradigms that, you know, exist. Well, if, you know, Anders created, you know, TypeScript in C Sharp, well, reactive extensions came from Eric Meyer, who is also of Microsoft. And so, you know, it's really interesting that, you know, a lot of, you know, my most favorite, you know, mechanisms in Angular has come from, you know, a very kind of concentrated, you know, place. And so I think even that transition of if you're doing .NET with reactive extensions, which is kind of where it started, and you move into, you know, Angular with, with TypeScript, well, you have RxJS, and it's just this really kind of a seamless integration, you know, to it. So, I mean, it, it's really interesting when you actually stop and you look at, like, you know, how much of the stuff that we use, you know, has Microsoft actually contributed, you know, being, you know, obviously, so the question I have, and, and, you know, I think the answer is obvious, but, you know, .NET Core, is that open source? 
Yes, so .NET, uh, .NET Core is open source, and Microsoft has been doing a lot of work to open source a lot of their different applications. It's really great to see that. Now, what, what parts of that are not open source? Because I, I think there is kind of some limitations there, like some of it is and some of it's not. Or um, Do you know anything about like where that distinction falls? I don't, think, I don't know the exact distinction for that. Yeah, so that might be a, uh, an opportunity for a listener to basically kind of sound off on that on, on the, uh, in the comments or something like that. So let's, let's get back to the kind of the education arc. And, and you know, I really want to unpack that because it's really interesting when you look at you know, like .NET Core and its origins and Angular and TypeScript. And, and not only that, I don't want to just pin on Angular because I think we, we do a lot of that, but you know, I've done a lot of React with TypeScript. And I've done Vue with TypeScript. And so I think every major front-end framework, you can use that in TypeScript. And so this is what I'm curious. Is, is you're approaching ASP.NET, what are some of the steps and stages that you found to be like really tricky for people to kind of wrap their minds around? Like what, what are those hurdles and how do you help them get through that? Um, something, especially for early students that have never worked with the ASP.NET, since I've mostly done a lot of work with the kind of API layer, creating APIs with it, and students sometimes really don't understand that there is this application layer in between. There's this API that's in between your, uh, maybe your mobile or desktop application talking to the server and really reinforcing that there is this application in between here. We want this intermediate layer. We don't want our users talking directly to the database. We, we can't trust them. So I think that's what I've really struggled sometimes is trying to be able to enforce this idea that there is this API layer and it's its own application that's running. Sometimes people don't really realize that, that that's going on. Right. And so conversely, you know, if that's kind of just understanding a standard application stack, as you approach teaching your students, what are some things that you've done that you've actually found to be like really effective in you know, kind of conveying the principles and the, and the techniques of, of uh, .NET? I think, yeah, the best best has just really been doing examples and lots of repetition. Uh, the students really like interesting examples. If it's fun, if it's interesting, if it's something that they can really remember, uh, that's what I've found to be really work really well. And one thing that I've actually, I enforce is do not ask me a question until you've asked one of your fellow peers the question as well. And this forces them to have to get a different perspective, ask a different student who might be able to help them. And I, I do want to help the students. I do want to answer as many questions for them as possible. But forcing them to ask each other and bounce ideas off each other first has really been a great way to improve learning and make them force other students to be able to explain maybe how something works. Okay, so I actually have a two-part question here because I am still fairly new to development. So my first question for, for those who are kind of in the same boat as me is, I mean, we're talking about this language for Microsoft, but help me to understand that. Why is there something that's particular to Microsoft? Why, you know, why are languages not just across the board? Why is there something just for Microsoft? And that's for everybody. Like anybody can answer that. I'm not sure I understand the question. Can you repeat that again? Yeah. So, because I'm, you know, when I try to look up and understand what is ASP.NET, the first thing that you find is how it's saying that it's a, like a Microsoft-specific programming language. Is that correct? All right, I'll go ahead and jump in on this one. So initially, we had uh, just ASP, which allowed us to create HTML um, applications using, let's say, VB5, VB6. And then when the .NET framework came along, then we had ASP.NET. Um, at that time, the only other way that you could develop ASP.NET applications was on a Windows machine using IIS and, and other related technologies. When Microsoft decided to go ahead and open up 
the .NET uh, framework to open source, then that's when they went ahead and created the uh, .NET uh, Core and uh, made it available now where you could develop it on any machine, whether it be on a uh, Windows or Linux-based machine, any one of those would be available that you could uh, develop and deploy out to. And so that's why when you go look up ASP.NET, um, initially, you're going to see a lot of things that are tying it back to Microsoft, whereas now, as a lot of things that are reported on the web, it's there's the, the way that it used to be and there's the way that it is now, and, and sometimes it's a little confusing for people. Is .NET Core, is that like... Uh like Java, where it just compiles down to like Java bytecode? Is that kind of the idea? Boy, that's a good question. I don't know what the what it actually compiles down to, but the idea here is that you'd be able to run it on any device that you wanted to be able to run it on. I have not done a lot with the .NET Core, and so I don't have a lot of experience. I'm guessing that you, and maybe Thomas can speak to this, is I'm guessing you probably have to recompile it on each different machine um, with that specific framework that you're going to deploy it to. Or will will the same uh, build work across multiple machines? If from my experience, you do have to build for each for each um, ecosystem that you're going to be on. But the process to do that is really simple. You just kind of point it, say, "Hey, I'm going to build it for Mac, or I'm going to build it for Windows," and underlying it just kind of does all the work for you. Cool. I think that answers it, uh, Mike. Does that answer your question? Yeah. 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 Totally. Yep. And so, even to just elaborate on that is, I don't think. It, at this point, .NET Core is any more Microsoft than, you know, Angular is Google. It just happened to be, you know, this was kind of, you know, where it started. This was, you know, where they, you know, Microsoft was the creator of it. And since then, you know, they've, they've really done a really good job of, of kind of, you know, making it widely available. And more importantly, they've done a really good job of putting, you know, the tooling around it for, you know, everybody to use it, you know, on, on really any platform. Yeah, and I think that happens with a lot of a lot of these frameworks. You know, like you're saying, Angular is Google, uh, Facebook has React. You know, Microsoft has the .NET stuff. Java has the Oracle stuff. So it's a lot of times, especially with these different environments, like a big company is what's kind of spearheading it and what's making it popular, and then just gets adopted by the community, open source, and then it just kind of becomes its own thing. Right. And so here's kind of an interesting question. There's an, any number of, of open source, you know, options when it comes to building your, your application stack. Why would somebody consider using like .NET Core over, let's say, like Node or, or Rails or, you know, any other server-side technology? Thomas, what do you think around that? Like, what would be maybe some compelling reasons to use .NET Core over? I, I think Node is, is kind of one of our favorites. You know, I always mm-hmm. bet on JavaScript, but let me hear your thoughts on that. Well, it was kind of mentioned earlier, I forget exactly by who, but the idea that with .NET, you have kind of the full ecosystem. You can do your back-end, middle, and front-end development all with .NET. So that's kind of a perk there where it does have that full-stack development all in one technology, all in one kind of underlying technology. So it is very similar and easier to transfer between the two. Another big benefit that I've seen with people for saying why they should use ASP.NET is because it's a compiled language. So our application, we're compiling it once and it's executed over and over. Whereas with like PHP or JavaScript, we are interpreted language. So that must be read and interpreted each time that you're going to be executing. So that compilation kind of provides some more validation and could potentially lead to faster execution. So that's just one benefit there is that the ASP.NET is a compiled, it's going to be C sharp in a compiled language. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. 
We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. What about, I'm thinking of a word. It rhymes with loud, starts with a C, that Microsoft actually has a large presence. Like, have you done any kind of integration with the C loud? The cloud? Oh, the- that's the word I was looking for. That's the Bingo. word. <laughs> like, are you in my head right now? You totally read my mind. So, I mean, that's, that's another compelling use case. Like, why don't you talk about that? Yes, there is the Azure Microsoft Cloud. So they, they can have really easy integration. They're trying to push their cloud platform as well. I actually don't really have too much experience with the Azure Cloud ecosystem. I have a lot of experience more with the AWS side. But there is a, it, it's a more seamless integration. And it kind of just goes into where you can use Microsoft for their entire ecosystem from if you want on-premise development all the way up to now cloud development with the Azure Cloud stack as well. So I want to jump in really quick regarding why you might choose to use ASP.NET Core um, for, for, let's say, like your backend. The, the number one thing that jumps out at me that I see is because we have a lot of other code that might be written in C Sharp and, and uh, organizations want to have um, that continuity between backend APIs. So my question for you, uh, Thomas, would be, have you worked with other backend stuff like Node? And if, you were, if so, have you uh, done any sort of comparisons between the two? in terms of the number of lines of code and the, the performance? Unfortunately, I had not too much experience with the difference of ASP.NET versus .Node with maybe your backend technologies, unfortunately. Okay, cool. So when you guys are writing these backend um, APIs, um, I'm, I'm assuming you're using Web API. Are you using, I, I'm trying to remember, Entity Framework? Or are you writing your own forward-only cursors and, and feeding those into business objects? What do you guys prefer there? So yeah, we are using Entity Framework. We have the SQL Server database that we can just generate all our models with in Entity Framework and that kind of just works with our API layer right there. So that makes really seamless integration. ASP.NET does support really any database backend that you want. And we just chose SQL Server for ours. And Entity Framework has made that really easy to uh, build our model and connection between the database. I'm busily looking on the internet for some kind of a benchmark what what I would be interested to to explore, and I don't know if anybody has the answer for this, but you know, for instance, you know, JavaScript being you know single threaded, with you know not .NET being like a multi threaded environment. I think that you know, depending on what you're doing. So, for instance, you know, JavaScript obviously in terms of like numbers, especially the floating point numbers, you know, it starts to fall apart, and you can actually get into some you know some issues there. Versus you know .NET doing you know, maybe like complex number processing or something like that you know, something that I think could factor in. So, I mean, I think it comes down to, you know, even context. Uh, I really like what Jesse said as well, is a lot of times even choosing one technology over another, it has nothing to do with even the merits of the technology, but pre-existing context. So, you know, Jesse, you know, you and I have been in a lot of situations where you kind of show up and it's, it's either like a minefield or it's just this, you know, this really complicated thing. Right. And you have to find the best way to navigate, you know, a team, you know, from point A to point B, and you don't always have the, the luxury of like, well, let's just tear it down and, and start from scratch. We need to do this in an incremental way and leverage, you know, pre-existing skill sets. And so when you are dealing with, you know, classic ASP or, you know, ASP.NET strictly on the server side is that I think right there, like you have a really good 
compelling reason to stick with that and incrementally, you know, introduce and, you know, and separate the apps in, but still leverage the .NET Core. Another thing that I think is really important is the ecosystem. A few years ago, I was looking at doing a backend and I really, I thought Python was interesting. You know, kind of the big framework there is, is Django. The problem is in the Phoenix metro area, I realized that if I stopped working on this, the chances of me finding a Django developer to take it over was pretty much zero. And so that's the other thing that that factors in is, you know, what is the ecosystem? What's the community look like? And, you know, when you pass the baton, are you, is there actually going to be somebody that, you know, can take it? So, you know, I would imagine this is probably why people are not choosing Flex, which is ironic, but, you know, like that's not really even a target one of the platforms being sunsetted, but even before that is that people were opting not to do that because they realized like we're not going to be able to find developers and the ecosystem is stalled out. And why Cobalt and Fortran and these things are not being chosen, even though Fortran is very, very fast and very performant, nobody just knows that it's not front of mind anymore. And so I think the fact that .NET Core is a vibrant ecosystem is is really compelling because it not only has the ecosystem, but you know, really the tool chain and the platform to to build on it. I think those are all great points, Lucas. There's a huge community. You can always find C-sharp developers, ASP Core developers, you know, definitely a, a great community. Microsoft has always had some of the best tools in the industry. I think one of the biggest complaints that I saw of, of moving over to Java versus uh, staying with .NET back in the, uh, the 2000s, early 2000s, was the tooling was so much better on the Microsoft side than it was over on the Java side. To kind of keep in mind here, because there are a couple of things that that might uh, point you not to use ASP.NET Core because sometimes if you're if you don't choose to use something like the Entity Framework, and and by the way, there's a price to be paid anytime we're using an ORM like like the Entity Framework versus using let's say straight up forward only cursors to read data out of the database and then send that down. Some of the things that that I've heard from developers um, historically have been that the amount of code that you have to write in a um, a web API in C Sharp is, is considerably higher if we're doing this, this high output sort of stuff. I'm using forward-only cursors and loading those into to, uh, business objects and then taking that, that object collection and then uh, transforming that into JSON, that those things can all be a little bit more work than, let's say, doing it in Node. But I think the really good point here is that we need to always keep in mind, what is the skill set that we have in-house? What have we been writing our um, APIs in? And then if we're going to make a change um, to, you know, wait, you know, into either, a, you know, um, ASP.NET Core, or if we're going to move away from it, that we have a, a plan to be able to do that and, and have developers that, that will be able to support that. Okay, so I've got a question too, because, you know, coming out of boot camp a little while ago, I'm thinking about all of the different programs I could have chosen and none of them at all. I have not seen any of them ever offer ASP.NET. So when would be a good point? Because it doesn't seem like, I mean, if that's the case, if these boot camps aren't really offering it as part of their programs, maybe I'm misreading that. But to me, that kind of says it's not really something that is beginner friendly. So correct me if I'm wrong there. But if that is the case, when is a good point in someone's experience to start learning ASP.NET. Well, I, I would agree with you that I haven't seen any boot camps that really focus on having ASP.NET content in them. And I, I wouldn't say that it's beginner unfriendly. It, it's, it's a perfectly great technology that's not too difficult to, 
to learn, but it is something that's usually maybe not a focus is kind of that intermediate backend layer for your API, where I think a lot of the focus right now is on the front end technologies, Angular, React, and Vue. But it's it, it's a great, it, at any time, it's, it's if, when, if you need an API, it might be the better time to learn it then, whereas it might not be the very first thing you should learn if you're, if you're coming in trying to get into programming in the very beginning. I think most of these boot camps are, are really focused on front end only, and they're not really very focused on back end. And so when we look at ASP.NET, the one thing to keep in mind is that by itself, it would not be my choice for developing um, applications with because it is a server-side rendered, a server-side rendering uh, of the HTML and sent down. So we're talking about lots of round trips. That is if you just use it as, a, as it comes out of the box. So most people are taking and marrying ASP.NET with either jQuery, React, Angular, View some some other technology and they're working those together. And Microsoft, I think, has done a really great job of keeping themselves relevant in all of these front end frameworks and showing people how you could use ASP.NET and marry it with these other front end technologies to make that work. So while um, you may not have seen boot camps that were available for ASP.NET specifically, I definitely wouldn't say um, it's. I think it's because they're they're mostly focused on you know the big three: Angular, React, and Vue. Um, those are the ones that, that uh, most boot camps are pushing these days. But I think that there's plenty of courses and, and camps out there, uh, training courses that you can do on C Sharp. And I wouldn't say that it's a bad place to start or that it's not for beginners. I think that a lot of the fundamentals that you're going to learn in a strongly typed language are going to support you in whatever technology platform that you choose for developing on the front end. And that a lot of these constructs that um, around strongly typed languages are things that boot camps don't really teach, students really don't understand, and and in a way, it actually, I think, limits their learning because they don't understand some of these these core concepts. I, I want to speak to that because I came out of a boot camp and I now teach in another one. It's not a really boot camp. It's a little longer than that. But here's what I think. Um, I think ASP.NET is, like, if you ask me, it would be, like, the perfect place to start because it's got... It's going to make you a better developer because it teaches you a lot of principles that are those principles that don't change. And we're going to go back to what Uncle Bob said. There are some principles that you could take anywhere. And you learn a lot of that learning something like C Sharp. It, it is such a, such a good language, right? Now, here's the thing. I was going to ask a question about what are the prerequisites before you jump into ASP.NET? Because we're thinking about ASP.NET the same way that we, that we think about a language, but it's not really, right? ASP.NET is a framework. It is a framework that you can use, and that framework can be, you can write the code for that framework in more than one language. There is F-sharp, there is VV.net, there is C-sharp, right? Even though we have been focusing only or mainly on C-sharp because it seems like the community really likes that language. Some of the prerequisites before you get to that is you need to understand about that .NET, but you, that .NET in general, not ASP.NET, the framework, if you were to compare that on the Node ecosystem, ASP.NET would be akin to ExpressJS or Koa or HappyJS. And if you go into the Django, it's not Python. ASP.NET would be more like Flask or you know, Django, the frameworks themselves. Uh, so some of, the, some of the stuff that you had, we have mentioned, things like Entity Framework or Entity Framework Core, the newer version, right? So you have understanding of the language, understanding of the paradigm, which is object-oriented programming, understanding of the type system, things like, uh, and I'm going to throw terms like link, language integrated queries, another brainchild of 
Enders, right? So there are quite a few things that you have to learn as prerequisites before you jump into the idea of building web applications or even web APIs, okay? So that is where the reason lies why bootcamps do not embark because bootcamps want to sell the idea of come in, give us 12 weeks and we're going to make you a developer. Teaching someone how to build applications on the .NET stack is going to take if you want to do it right, way more than the one or two weeks or three maybe that they want to reserve for you to learn the, the whole backend stuff. Most of the bootcamps are going to offer the full stack experience, but you start with JavaScript on the beginning. And then you go into a framework that uses JavaScript, Angular, Vue, React, whatever the framework is, you still work into the same language, the same paradigm, and the same, the same way of building applications of thinking about your, your construct on the, lang- on the programming language. And then when you move to the backend, it's a lot easier to tell people, hey, you already know the language and all the patterns of the language. All you have to learn now is this one framework, and that's it. And you don't have to deal with all of the other complexity that comes with changing with a, a language like Java or, or C Sharp. This is, I think, the main reason why bootcamps stay away from it, because you need a lot more time to teach it before you can even move into the framework part of it. Well, like in our case, our students come in and they come out of the the first section, they know React, they know JavaScript really well. So when they jump with me, all I talk about now is REST and the API ecosystem, and then that's it. I don't have to worry about teaching anything else. Like we, I go straight into Express, and they're, they're good to go. Opinion. That was great. That was a great answer to the question. Thank you very much. So, Louise, when you say us, you're referring to something very specific, you know, could you just elaborate what us is real quick? So people are like, I don't know who he's talking about. Like, is it his family? Like his uncles, his aunts? Like, so when you say us, what are we talking about? He's talking about me. Uh, I think he's yeah. talking about me, isn't he? Yeah, Jesse. That, yep, you're the us. We're, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hire Jesse at Lambda School. I, I work for a place called Lambda School. And so we teach online and we are a little longer, um, more closer to nine months to a year instead of, you know, three months. Because we, we teach a little more than just the basics of, of full stack web development. We do have a portion of, we do have a choice on the back end. You could go with Java or you could go with Node.js. This is why I'm telling you there is a challenge when you want to teach Java or Ruby, because we also bring in Ruby on Rails, because you have to now bring all of those. We, we found that this is why bootcamps don't want to teach those. Because it's a lot easier. I could teach Node in you know three to four weeks, but the Java people they have to teach a lot for a lot longer because they have to bring in a lot more information, new information for the students. So, I mean Lambda School when I say us. All right. Well, thank you for uh, clearing that up. By the way, Lambda School makes the best hats. Just saying, I love mine very much. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby, and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. So I think we're 
kind of running at the top of the hour here. And unless somebody just violently objects, I think we should get into one of my favorite portions of the show and let's get into picks. Dun, dun, dun. And we'll start with our guest, Thomas. Yes. What's just got you super excited this last week? Lay it on us. Pearls of wisdom incoming. Three, two, one, go. So recently, I've actually been reading a new book called The Fearless Organization, Creating Psychological Safety in the Workplace for Learning, Innovation, and Growth by Amy Edmondson. So psychological safety in the workplace is something that's extremely important to me, and this book tells how it can increase learning, innovation, and growth. So that's just a book that I've been reading, The Fearless Organization by Amy Edmondson, and been really enjoying it. What about, you got one more for us? That was pretty good, but I'm, I'm pressing my luck here. Top of your head, what's the first thing that comes to your mind that's awesome? You have like a favorite book or a favorite movie or something? Oh, favorite movie. I'm just looking forward to Halloween is what I'm looking for. Looking forward to candy. What's your favorite yeah. candy bar? Ooh, I like sweet candy. I like Starburst and Skittles. Oh. That's where I'm at. All right. Noted. Noted. All right. Luis, being that you are our second guest of honor of sorts, why not? <laughs> You're up. <laughs> All right. Since we're talking about that net, I would say do a quick search on Visual Studio Dev Essentials. Some good is there from Microsoft. And also go into ASP.net, just like that, ASP.net. That's going to redirect you somewhere now. But there is a lot of good information in there. So Visual Studio Dev Essentials, pretty good, and ASP.net. And go there, and that's going to be the beginning of your journey into the best ecosystem for building applications. I can tell you because I've been on both sides, there's nothing like the Microsoft ecosystem when it comes to building applications. It's the best there is. Awesome. Favorite candy. Yeah. Favorite candy would be Twix. Twix. Nice. Do you like the, the, like, they have the dark chocolate now. Do you like the dark chocolate ones or does it have to be the classic, just the normal classic? Milk chocolate. No dark chocolate. The classic milk chocolate one. I figured he was going to be like, oh, like my favorite candy is like mango with like chili pepper all over it. And that's any, any of any of my Latin friends, like it's like bring some candy over and like invariably like you get like a lollipop that's just covered in chili powder or something. Yeah. He's shaking his head. You can't see this on, on the podcast, but apparently that's a big thumbs down in the uh, Louise department. All right, Mike, we've waited the entire show. To hear your picks. Yeah. Well, I'm a Butterfingers guy. I'll start with that. Uh, Love me some Butterfingers. It's definitely, it's always my favorite. I got this new backpack a couple weeks ago. It's called the Alta 21 pack. I'll throw the link in the uh, chat, but it's, it's like this very uh, compact backpack. So it packs down to like the size of it. And it's probably like six inches long, but it's like, it'll, it'll pack down so you can easily pack it. And then it fits like 21 liters and it's completely waterproof. So if anyone needs a good travel backpack, it's uh, it's called the Alta 21 pack. Awesome. Jesse? All right. Well, Butterfingers are great. Love those. Almost any candy, you know, but I try to really stay away from it as much as possible. I'm going to bring back a little nostalgia. Uh, the other night, I was sitting down watching uh, Taxi Driver, Robert De Niro, Jodie Foster. I mean, wow, what an amazing movie. I hadn't seen it in a really long time. And it was just, it was great to like, Go like, oh my God, is that Jodie Foster? How she was 14 when that movie was made. Like crazy, really good, a little disturbing, you know, especially for thinking about movies in that time period. Like I think it was, you know, probably what inspired things like Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and stuff like that uh, going forward. I saw something today 
that I, I don't remember the name of it, but it's this really cool new bike helmet that they're coming out with. They're basically showing this model of like all these hinged pieces of plastic together and they, they mesh this into a, a cap and then you can actually put an outer layer on it so it looks just like a ball cap. And, and it straps on and it's, it's supposed to be like this really cool new innovative bike helmet. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. And uh, talking about his favorite movies from the 30s. You guys are horrible. <laughs> Thanks, Lucas. <laughs> Just call me grandpa. Yeah. Oh, goodness. And I think the other one that, that I've been doing a lot of uh, looking at is some of the new Garmin watches. So the, the Garmin Phoenix 5 as, as well as the Garmin 945. So if you're doing any sort of swimming, biking, running, triathlon sort of craziness, which I have a race coming up on December 8th in Palm Springs, my Garmin just died in the pool last night and started freaking out. And so I'm in the market for a new $600 watch. All right. Riveting tale of intrigue. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> wow. Like... I have not, I don't even know what to say right now. Like, like taxi. And then you go into watches dying in the pool. That seems like a, actually a, a very natural narrative arc. So I'll go next. We'll save the, uh, the best for last. So what I've been digging on is I have a new favorite musician slash singer. And his name is Ed Mata. That's uh, M-O-T-T-A. And he's actually Brazilian. And so a lot of his songs are in Portuguese but this guy is the real deal. Like he's just phenomenal. Somehow he ended up in like a, like play this video next. And he is amazing vocalist and singer. And, you know, since we're talking about vocalist is uh, Kurt Elling is another uh, jazz uh, vocalist that I've, I've really been into a lot lately. I had the privilege of seeing him a week ago at the Musical Instrument Museum in uh, Scottsdale. If you ever have a chance, uh, go check that out. I think kind of my favorite candy typically is I really like toffee. So it's either going to be Heath or score. That's a uh, super sweet, super small portions. And um, so I, I really like, uh, like toffee. And I think last but not least, B.R. Avery. Hit it. You got my nickname. Yeah, sorry. No, it's funny because I use that on my email and people all the time think my name is Avery. What? It's fine because Avery is a cool name too. So, all right. So I have a couple of shares and I'm going to kind of piggyback off of your idea of sharing a musician, but there is a musician named Noah and I believe it's pronounced Kahan, Noah Kahan. So it's K-A-H-A-N. And he just released a new CD called Busy Head, a new album. And I love it. I don't know. I have struggled lately to find musicians where you can just listen to the whole album and like the whole thing. But this is one album that I really like every single song. It's not one where there's like two hits and that's it. So he's a really good one. And then also, because I help a lot with the marketing and things at Thinkster, we've been looking into doing little videos and things to help promote our company. And we came across a website called biteable.com. And it's really cool because what you do is you're basically making little promotional videos uh, and you can put these on like Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, wherever. But what they do is they start with a template. So they give you all these different templates and then all you have to do is switch out some scenes with your video. You can edit the text and then you upload your logo and it's pretty much ready to go. 
but they just make it so easy. So biteable.com is a pretty cool little website to use, but those are my two shares. Well, fantastic. All right, Brooke, take us home, home stretch. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to everybody for being here. We really appreciate having Lucas come along and help with hosting today. And of course, Thomas, thank you so much for coming and sharing more about your course and ASP.net. And as always, thank you to all of our panelists. I love hanging out with these guys. So you are all the best. Even our elderly Jesse. (laughs) Uncle Jesse. (laughs) The funny thing is I'm probably the oldest here. So bye-bye. Right. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.